Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Today we're going to spend some time talking about our conduct in the Christian life. I think this uh, part of Philippians marks a little bit of a transition in the book of Philippians from uh, this rejoicing and praise of the riches of our salvation and the work of God to exalt Christ through all things, uh, including our circumstances, the preaching of the word of God, whether we live or whether we die, Christ is being exalted through us as believers. And then there is this transition point right here where Paul begins to instruct the Philippian church, um, not without continued rejoicing, but there is a little bit of a change in tone. So we're going to spend some time this morning talking a little bit about our conduct. And I'd like to just start by just simply stating that I believe uh, that the gospel is not just how we begin our Christian lives, it is also the way we live our Christian lives. And it's that simple. And I believe that's where Paul's going with this, the beginning of this section that we'll kind of dive into together. So Philippians chapter 1, let's start uh, by reading uh, from verse 21 down through verse 30. Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And I'm going to read uh, the first part of verse 27 one more time. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I read a few of the verses that we walked through last week. I believe that kind of gives us a little bit of the context where he's going with this. And my hope this morning was to uh, walk, ver- walk through verses 27 through 30, uh, but I think I'm going to get halfway through verse 27. That's as far as we're going to get this morning. So I was working on my notes, and I had it all laid out, and, um, and uh, I just feel like there was, it was going to be too much to breeze over without leaving some time to think on these things a little bit. So we're going to spend some time in these first few words of verse 27, specifically for only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. So again, uh, I believe that the gospel is not just how we begin our Christian lives, but it's also the way we live our Christian lives. Now, uh, the first thing that I think we should notice in these, verse, these verses is the word uh, conduct. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word conduct uh, is a word that means to lead one's life. Uh, it's, a, it's a reference to one's way of life. Now, if you have the King James Version Bible, uh, you might see the word conversation, uh, which comes from the same Greek word. It's translated in King James uh, or the, uh, King, the translation of the 1611 King James English uses the word conversation. Now, um, there isn't actually a conflict there. Now, my initial reaction to that was, why are the, do these two words seem so different? Conduct and conversation seem like different things. But in reality, they are one and the same. And it comes from the same Greek word, which means to live one's life. Now, in Old English, the tradition was that they would use the word conversation to refer to one's way of life, to one's entire life their way of life. Now, when you read that, when you and I read that, if I were to read the King James Version Bible, it's not translated improperly, but my initial reaction is to think only of words, to think only of what I say or what you say in response to what I say, conversation. When I hear that word, that's all I think of. But in this reference, it's referring to something bigger and deeper than that. It does include conversation, but it, include, it includes much more than that. And in fact, it includes a little more than what we would even think when we hear the word conduct, we think of conduct, we think of our way of life, we think of our behavior, we think of our actions, our conversations, our reactions. But this word actually has political um, implications. It's used in context with uh, commonwealth, state, or citizenship. It's a word that's only used in reference to one's way of life as a part of a commonwealth or as a citizen of some form of state, some form of organized government structure. So in this case, Paul is drawing some, using some words that are going to connect with the Philippian people in a very special way. And I wanted to pull this out this morning because I think it's really important. Because when I first read this, you know, often it could be really easy to interpret this as a Okay, you've been saved by Jesus, but now you need to deserve it. Now you need to earn it. Now you need to act like you, you, um, that, that God owes these things to you in such a way that we consider ourselves worthy of what God's given to us. But it's important to recognize the words for what they are um, to begin with. Now, uh, something interesting that I learned about the Philippian church are in the Philipp and Philippi itself, it is a Roman a colony. Uh, it was under the authority of the Roman Empire, and the citizens of Philippi, the people that lived there, if they were not Roman citizens, they desired to be Roman citizens because as Roman citizens, there would have been uh, certain benefits that came along with citizenship in the Roman Empire. There would have been um, judicial rights that would have come about. If they committed certain crimes, the punishment would have been different than had they not been citizens of the Roman government, uh, of the, uh, been a Roman citizen. And they, there would have been tax benefits 
to being a Roman citizen, much like there is for being a citizen of the United States of America. Now, you know there's a lot of political debate about um, what all that means today and what, what effectiveness being a citizen of the United States has and what benefit there is for being an alien or a citizen. But in this case, the people were desiring to be citizens of the Roman government because there were benefits to that. And Paul's using that language to refer to something specific about the Christian life. He's not actually telling them to be good citizens of the Roman Empire. But he's talking about something a little bit different. Now we, um, we are citizens of a specific country and as we look at these texts it's important for us to see where Paul's going with this specifically in relation to um, him using this as a, a visual illustration their desire to be part of uh, the kingdom of God all right now look at this he says conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so in here he talks about worthiness and he talks about the gospel of Christ. It becomes evident that he's not talking about citizenship in the Roman Empire. Here Paul's instructing the church in their citizenship conduct, not of Nero and Rome specifically, but of Christ and the kingdom of God. That's where Paul's going with this, saying, listen, you have, you have a ruler and an authority over your life, and that ruler and that ultimate authority in your life is Christ. And you have a kingdom that you are now a citizen of, and not specifically Rome. You're not necessarily under the authority of Nero. You may be or you may not be. You may desire to be part of that. But ultimately, our citizenship as believers is in the kingdom of God, and our authority is under Jesus Christ. And that's where he's going initially. So with that in mind, that he's referring to a conduct, a way of life, specifically as a citizen of the kingdom of God, is what he's referring to here. So he's not just speaking about um, any random conversations that we might have or any conduct that we might have, but specifically conduct as citizens of the kingdom of God. Since we are citizens of the kingdom of God, since Christ is our ruler and our authority, now let's talk about conduct that's becoming of citizens in the kingdom of God and people who are under the authority of Christ. So he says, conduct yourselves in a manner. Look, let's look at the words manner worthy. I think those are really important. The word uh, worthy means to be suitable. It's proper. It's what's fitting. Um, now, when I hear the word worthy, one of the first things that comes to my mind is deserving. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. That's typically how I use it. Are you worthy of this or of that? And if you're worthy, then you will receive. And it's kind of a punishment and reward concept. Are you deserving or are you not deserving? And if we're not careful when we look at these, uh, when I read this, um, if I'm not careful when I read this, and this, this type of language is actually used by Paul in a number of his letters. He uses it in Colossians. He uses it in Ephesians. He talks about being worthy of the gospel with which we've received. And my initial reaction is to consider that as deserving. But these words actually mean something a little different. It means to be suitable. It means to be proper. It means to be fitting. And when you connect that with the idea of citizenship, it takes on a whole different shape. 
So now he's saying, what does it mean to be, uh, to have a life that's fitting of a citizen of the kingdom of God? So now you think about somebody who is a Roman citizen. Uh, there are certain expectations for citizens in the Roman Empire. They have to act like citizens in the Roman Empire. There are laws, there, are, there is a constitution, there are instructions for those citizens and they are to act within those boundaries and reflect honorably Caesar. They are supposed to honor their government and honor their leader. And here Paul is saying in that much the same way, like you would honor your leader of your country as a good citizen, you are to honor Christ as your Lord and honor the kingdom of God and reflect the kingdom of God in your conduct, in your way of life. Our way of life should reflect what is becoming, what is fitting, or what is proper of someone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God. So if we're citizens of the kingdom of God, he's saying we ought to look like we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We ought to act like we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We ought to reflect the character and the qualities of the kingdom of God. So here, uh, we are being instructed as believers to be honorable citizens of God's kingdom. We have rights of citizens of God's kingdom. So now that we have become part of the kingdom of God by our faith in Jesus Christ, we have certain rights, much like the Philippian people would have if they had become Roman citizens. They would have received special rights as citizens of the Roman government. But now that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we have very special blessings. In Ephesians, he tells us that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed with freedom. God calls us his children. we brothers uh, in faith with Christ. And we are saints together, brethren. We are no longer aliens that are sojourning in a foreign land in terms of us visiting the kingdom of God, so to speak. We are actual citizens and not in danger of being deported. You know, as though we were visitors and if we violated certain restrictions, we might be sent out of the kingdom of God. We are official citizens of the kingdom of God and there are no stipulations at which God would make someone not a citizen of the kingdom of God once they're in. So, you see this language beginning to develop. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not necessarily that we deserve it. It's not an instruction to live in a way that we deserve citizenship as if we could earn it. Instead, worthy is an instruction to reflect our citizenship. It's a life that is consistent with the character of the kingdom of God. So um, I've been on a few... Uh, trips around the world to a few different countries. Um, most of those mission trips, um, uh, a couple times out of the country just for visiting purposes or what have you. But in all of those cases, I saw American citizens. I saw Americans wherever I went. Um, even when I went to some of the most remote places, I saw American people. And uh, they're usually pretty easy to recognize. We stand out like a sore thumb just about anywhere. <laughs> All right, and most of it's because of our behavior. All right, um, and uh, we're just we we act differently than other cultures do. Um, not always bad, uh, but anyways, there were, there were a number of times where I saw American citizens, and they were definitely acting in ways that I would not act. 
personally, or I would not feel like as becoming an, of an American citizen. What I what kind of bothered me sometimes about that was that I knew that all those people from those various locations were watching that one American citizen and getting a huge picture of America and painting all Americans with that broad brush of that one individual's reflection of America. Now, I happen to know that some of that character and some of those qualities are not necessarily unrepresentative of America. You know, there's a large portion of America that might be represented by that one particular person, but not necessarily everybody. But what's interesting about, and, and even myself, whatever, whatever representation I made of America was still a small representation of America. Now, I know that uh, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, uh, we're much the same way as a church. You know, what makes us citizens of the kingdom of God is not that we all act the same way, but it's that we're all saved by the same grace. It's that we all have come to know uh, the kingdom, become to be citizens in the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, our behavior may very well be very different. It may vary. And so the rest of the world seeing us as citizens of the king, kingdom of God, claiming to be citizens of the kingdom of God, claiming to be uh, believers in Jesus Christ, but yet acting very differently, people are getting different perspectives of what the kingdom of God actually is by our representation. But what's good about what Paul's calling us to do here is that he's telling us not to represent the greater body. We're not trying to represent what all the people act like, as though in general, this is what all Christians are like. Yeah, there's a few bad Christians, there's a few Christians that are struggling in their faith and acting sinfully, but in general, this is what most of us are like, because that's never actually going to be consistent. The rest of the world's going to look at that and say, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Most Christians I've seen look pretty much like everybody else. And oftentimes we do get a very bad and mixed representation from amongst the body of Christ. So Paul's not instructing the Christians to go out and represent one another. He's instructing the Christians to specifically go out and represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. We represent the kingdom of God, which is consistent and does not change. Because it is a, it is a kingdom that has been established on Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. We represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, which does not change. Although we get it wrong sometimes when we're trying to communicate it, and although sometimes um, our congregations and our fellowships and our individual lives oftentimes represent different things by our behaviors, there is a gospel that Paul is pointing us toward and saying, in your conduct as a citizen, you need to strive to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ, not what is generally accepted by the believers. Because we're not out trying to help people say, in general, Christians are like this and we're striving to be better at it. So don't judge us by our misdeeds. Instead, we are, we are called to point people to the kingdom of God and Christ Jesus because we are all flawed and in desperate need of grace. If we try to point the world toward our behavior as though we have somehow been um, reached a position where we are actually... It's people that you could emulate as though we do things well, then we're going to lead many people astray. But the Lord is 
calling us through Paul, instructing the church to point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, specifically through our conduct and our way of life, the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at that for a second, this, this gospel of Christ that he speaks of. Obviously, the word gospel means good news. Now, in, uh, in Greek and in that culture, that word good news, um, and even in Hebrew, it could be used um, to refer to any kind of news that's good. A gospel is any kind of news that's good, but in this case, it's the gospel of Christ, specifically the good news of Jesus, specifically the good news of our salvation, which is, for us, this is God's word in its entirety. All of God's word is the good news that points to Christ. It exalts Christ. It reveals Christ. It reveals God. It reveals the holiness of God. It reveals mankind and our nature and our sinfulness and our need for a savior and it reveals Christ our savior and it reveals the hope of our eternal salvation from front to end it is the gospel the good news of Christ Jesus which includes all the old testament that comes before the gospels where we see the specific revelation of Jesus Christ um, for us so all of this is the good news that we are to represent as believers and citizens of the kingdom of God. So, something else to consider in terms of this uh, citizenship concept that Paul's kind of drawing upon for, for these people is the idea of law and constitution. With every uh, commonwealth or state or country or empire, there are rules, there are laws, there's a constitution that governs that society that people must measure up to. Now for us, we, from a lot of us in this room, uh, we were born as citizens. We were born into this country. We did not have to fulfill requirements in order to become citizens of America. Um, but there are people that are joined, that are coming to America and becoming citizens every day. And they are, there are requirements that must be fulfilled in order for them to transfer their citizenship from some other country to America, which is an interesting, uh, which is an interesting process. And it was the same for the people of, uh, of this day that were trying to become Roman citizens. Um, and, it's, and it is to some extent the same for us in becoming part of the kingdom of God. There are requirements that must be fulfilled, specifically our righteousness. We cannot be citizens of the kingdom of God unless we are righteous, unless we are holy. So the question then remains, how can we accomplish what's necessary in order to us to become citizens of, of the kingdom of God? The only way we can accomplish that is by Jesus accomplishing it on our behalf. Because we cannot do what's necessary to, to check off the right boxes in order to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. We must have someone do this on our behalf. And that's what Christ did for us. I have a, my brother-in-law, he's a native-born Ugandan and uh, married my sister and uh, went to, started a years-long process of becoming a citizen of the United States of America and uh, eventually fulfilled all the requirements that were necessary for him to become an American citizen. I got the, pl the, the privilege of attending his ceremony where he was officially given his U.S. citizenship, which is unique. If you ever get to go to one of those, it's pretty cool. Um, you go to this place, and there are people from all over the world. There was probably, 
I don't know, um, 50 or 60 people in there from all over the world that were becoming citizens of the United States of America. All of their names were called and all of their countries that they were coming from. And they told, they explained all the steps that they had to go through for becoming a U.S. citizen. And there were American flags everywhere and they had a big screen. And uh, the president of the United States had a message welcoming these people into America as citizens. And, and when the ceremony was done and all their requirements were fulfilled and they um, took their oath as a citizen of the United States of America, they got to walk out of that room a citizen of America. It's really kind of a neat process. So even if, you know, there's a lot of discussion in politics right now regarding citizenship in America, and a lot of that gets a little confusing, and how do we treat uh, people that are coming into our country? Uh, but it is, it is neat to see uh, the processes that countries do go through to welcome people in and to give them the rights of citizenship and the privileges of being an American citizen, um, or, or other countries for that matter. And in this case, uh, there are requirements for us to fulfill in order to become part of the kingdom of God. And as I said, righteousness is one of those requirements which demands that our sins be paid for. It demands that all of our, um, all of our wickedness and our evil that we have committed in our life has to be dealt with before we can become a citizen of the kingdom of God. It has to be confessed and it has to be paid for because, because God is just. He's a good God, and he protects his kingdom, and he is holy, and he does not allow whole unholiness into his kingdom. And because he's good, and he's a good judge, he must judge sin as a good and fair and just God should. And so as a criminal, someone who has violated the commands of God, justice has to be done, and so the Lord must punish and the problem is my blood is not enough to pay for all of the sins that I've committed. None of ours is. My blood is not righteous enough to cover the debt that I owe. And so God sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sins and mine so that our sins could be, could be paid for and the wrath of God could be turned away and he could open his arms to us as citizens of his kingdom and welcoming us into his family. So the requirements have been accomplished in Jesus. For those of us who are believers, by faith in Jesus Christ, the requirements have been accomplished. So he's not, Paul's not instructing us as believers now to go out and to fulfill these requirements and to do good works so that we deserve what God's given to us. This is not the instruction. Instead, he is saying, I'm commanding you, I'm instructing you as believers who are exalting Christ with this life that you have left to live. Yes, I know that it's much better to go and to, to be with Jesus, and you long for that. But now, since the Lord has given us uh, this necessity to stay on behalf of continuing the faith for the believers, that as we live this life that the Lord's called us to live, we are to live in such a way that we conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So now we consider this law and this constitution. Since we're part of a we're part of a kingdom, it has rules, it has instructions, it has standards. It's the holiness of God, it's the righteousness of God, it's the character of God that we are going to represent. And so now we are called to live by it. So with with the benefits 
and the rights of citizenship, which is our hope and our freedom and our salvation, with that comes responsibility. It is a responsibility to conduct our lives according to God's way. So we live as though we are made citizens by the gospel, but we also live as though we're governed by the gospel. So just as America has a law and a constitution, the kingdom of God has a law and a gospel. And the Lord has called us to live by it as believers. And so we get into God's word and we know it and we study it and we read it and we hide it in our hearts and we allow God to govern our lives through his word. So with all that, so just that phrase, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We see this really unique and rich call to recognize our citizenship in the kingdom of God and to live as though we're citizens of the kingdom of God. A few things to consider in that regard. One, it means that we we're, we're to not live any longer in a way that in the way that misrepresents the kingdom of God or the gospel. Meaning that since we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we ought to search our lives for those things that are not becoming of the kingdom of God. The sinful things that the Lord Jesus came to die for and to pay the price for. We're to study the law of God and study the holiness of God and study the righteousness of God and see the heart of God and recognize the wickedness of sin and hate it as he does. And when we see those patterns in our lives, we're to recognize those as part of our old citizenship of this world. And to no longer do those things because they're a misrepresentation of who we actually are. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. That's not going to change. But it is possible to misrepresent the citizenship that we have. That's why the church sometimes does give a little bit of a mixed message about the kingdom of God. Because our behavior doesn't always reflect the gospel. And so Paul is calling us to see the gospel and to recognize that that should be our way of life. And as individuals, if we are conducting ourselves in this way, more and more the church will more, with a more unified fashion, reflect the kingdom of God as we should. We will give a better picture of the kingdom of God to this world if we are all individually drawing near to Christ and the gospel and living lives that are becoming of the work that God's accomplished. Is this making sense a little bit? All right. Another thing to consider is that just, just to kind of by way of recap is that we live in such a way that Christ is our ruler, the kingdom is our home, and God's word is our governor. Uh, Colossians, uh, Paul tells the Colossian people, if you were probably just turn one page over in your Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he kind of tells them the same thing, where he says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's praying that as believers, God will fill us with his knowledge, with his will, with understanding, so that, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Same concept. Same concept. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, being bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what is becoming of a believer? What is becoming 
of someone who is a citizen of the God, citizen of God, citizen of the kingdom of God, excuse me. It's growing in knowledge, growing in understanding, increasing in the knowledge of God, bearing fruit in every good work, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There it is again. Who has qualified us? The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. We didn't, we're not actually worthy of it, if you consider that to mean deserving. We didn't qualify ourselves. We were disqualified. But the Father qualified us by sending His Son Christ to pay the price necessary to qualify us for the kingdom of God. So we are now brought into the inheritance of the saints in light that we share. And this is what is becoming of a believer who is a citizen of the kingdom of God, that we are growing in these things and bearing fruit. That's why Paul said in Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm, I'm torn. I'm hard pressed. I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus because that's very much better. But I see the necessity of staying and living here for the sake, uh, for the continuance of the faith. I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He wants to stay and produce the fruit of good works. In verse 22, he says, If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. This is what is becoming of a believer who lives on this earth. Whatever amount of life the Lord has ordained for the rest of us to live, whatever, however long that's going to be, he says, conduct this life in a way that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, another thing that we can pull from this, I think, is not only an individual from, from an individual aspect, that we're all responsible as individual citizens to do this and to heed this warning and to, to follow these instructions, but as a church, as a body, we consider ourselves to be sort of an embassy Paul uses that, that language in Corinthians where he refers to us as, as um, ambassadors, where we, we represent Christ to the world, begging on behalf of Jesus that people be reconciled to God. So if we are an embassy as a church or a small representation of the kingdom of God is what we are, then we have to ask what we are doing, the way we conduct ourselves as believers, even in our worship services and in our music and in our, our, the times that we open God's word together in our community groups. And when we get together outside of that for the sake of uh, ministering to one another and weeping with each other and rejoicing with each other and helping each other in their needs and sharing the gospel of Jesus with the world, the way we conduct ourselves as a church we need to remember that we are, as a representation of that kingdom, we should conduct ourselves in a way that represents God's kingdom well. And everything that we do together should be a representation of the gospel. It's not about ourselves. It's not about what makes us feel good. We're here to represent the kingdom of God. Let's pray through those things this morning. And then I'd just like to encourage you to remember that God has invited us to be made right with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. If we would trust in him as our savior, he will make us citizens of his kingdom and welcome us as his family.
And I invite you to trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you for, um, for sending your son to be our savior so that we could be welcomed into a place that we do not deserve. Now that you have accomplished righteousness on our behalf, I pray that you will help us to conduct ourselves in this world in such a way that reveals your glory, that reveals the beauty of our salvation. I pray that you will help us to walk in a way that pleases you and that honors you and is obedient to you because we love you and because that's because you've recreated us and made us your children. God, we thank you for that. Thank you that you call us sons and daughters. Thank you that we can call you Father. And I pray that you will help us to rejoice every day in the riches of our salvation, the blessings of citizenship in your kingdom. Help us not to forget those things. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.